Have you ever played games with your children or grandchildren and they change the rules halfway through? <laughs> like all the time, right? Oh, we don't play it that way, Gramps. Really? Oh, those, are, those aren't our rules. And they change the rules to their advantage. That's what I want to talk about today. And um, it's a bit of a cluttered talk, so I'll confess that right away. It's, it's somewhere together in my head, and I hope it also comes out in a logical way that you say, okay, at least A became B, became C, so I think I knew what he was saying. I, I want to begin by, by giving you a quote that will maybe accentuate the confusion. Here it is. It's by a person called Audrey Lourdes. He says, the master's tools will never demolish the master's house. They may beat him at his own game. So you can just say, hmm, say it again. The master's tools will never demolish the master's house. They may beat him at his own game. I want to talk about the way the Pharisees in Jesus' day changed the rules Let's see if the right thing comes up here. There we go. The Pharisees were a sect of the Jews um, who, when, when John the Baptist saw them coming to see him, um, he said, here, here comes that group of slippery snakes. And it was, it was kind of a, a moniker that the Pharisees had that the way that they took the Old Testament law um, was that they would apply it in s sort of a getting around the rules. Um, not breaking them, but finding an easy way around the rules. And so they would forgive themselves of some things that if you had been a purist with the law, you would have said, well, you, you can't do that. Um, they would find a loophole. They were the lawyers of the day. And when several instances, when, when Jesus confronts them, or in this case, when John the Baptist does, they, they go after that and they say, you know, you tell people they should live according to the law, but you don't do it. You find an easy way out or an other way out. You change the rules in the middle of the game. So there are a few instances where we realize that that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, one time, there's a woman who's taken an adultery, and the Pharisees say to Jesus, so we, we caught her in the act. She should be stoned. That was, that was the word the Pharisees had. But Jesus said, hmm. And there's this curious incident where Jesus wrote something in the dirt. And, you know, We'd love to know what he wrote in the dirt. What did he write in the dirt? Well, the, the point is that the Pharisees were doing what they did very well, which was finding something that was acceptable to them, but not honestly and fairly um, allowing the law to speak. So in the law, um, two times, if this were a situation that was discovered, both parties 
were always required to give testimony. And so the Pharisees had chosen their version, which was to haul this woman out and say she should be stoned. And there's no person on the other side who's saying, yeah, and he should be stoned as well. So Jesus wrote something in the dirt. And you can just see the drama of a situation where Jesus sort of stoops down to write, and then he looks up, and the crowd's getting thinner. He goes down again, looks up, and there are fewer people still. And when he looks up, the last time, there's nobody left. And he says to the woman, so where are your accusers? And she says, I don't see any. What Jesus says to her then is the full and appropriate response to her sin. He said, I don't condemn you either. Go and don't sin anymore. You have been an agent of harm, so don't be an agent of harm anymore. Um, but the Pharisees were away um, sort of considering how they could rebut this, what, what they could do. Um, and, and Jesus had caught them at this game of changing the rules in the middle of the game. Jesus himself talked about a ploy of presence in the world that could maybe be called changing the rules in the middle of the game. So that little quote at the beginning says, you can't demolish the master's house with his own tools. And the meaning behind that, I think, is that if we have an enemy and we want to destroy his house, we can't do it with his tools or his ways. If, if there's an enemy in the world, the world system, the world um, of you know, visible and invisible realities, um, we can't demolish the fallen world using its own tools. And we are wont to use its own tools because they are not altogether immediately insidious. They're not apparently evil to us. They're often just the ways of the world. They're just the ways we think, the way that human persons uh, deal with themselves and with one another. But this quote is saying, if, if something needs to be fixed, you're not going to fix it with the tools that made it what it is. You're not going to fix it with the tools that broke it. So Jesus became someone who used this whole idea of changing the rules in the middle of the game in a, in a very masterful way. So let me take you to a lovely passage, a lovely passage in um, Luke, where here's what Jesus says. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other cheek also. And whoever takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt from him either. We've, we've used those, you know, the, the whole turn the other cheek, sort of a, um, an idiom. The setting into which Jesus says this, so this is part of what is called the Sermon on the Plain. There was a Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon not on the Mount, but it's on the Plain. And in this sermon... Jesus is talking to the ordinary people um, of the land. Uh, undoubtedly, they were poor. Um, they were workers. They were laborers. They were uh, farmers. They were fishermen. 
And they were just the ordinary people who were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They were under the thumb of the Roman soldiers who were always around, always apparent. So while all of these folks, these ordinary people, are listening to Jesus, and presumably members of the Roman army are, are also all around, Jesus goes after the Roman army. And, you know, you might see them standing there and say, is he talking about us? I don't know. I can't tell. Is he talk Do you think he's talking about us? But he was. Um, right in, in their audience, he said, if someone hits you on the cheek, give him your other cheek. What did he mean? Well, the, the slap on the side of the face was meant not to be a hurtful thing necessarily. It was meant to insult to put you in your place. I am fighting with all that I have to not talk about Will Smith. But, so there, I didn't, I didn't do it. With all of the people gathered around on the plane and perhaps the Roman soldiers around, it's as though Jesus said, if a Roman soldier hits you on one cheek, give him the other. What is that doing? What Jesus is doing is changing the rules in the middle of the game. He's saying, this is what would be expected. That if you are slapped on the cheek, um, you will cower, uh, you will move away, you will affirm the fact that the person who has just slapped you is the person who has authority over you, who's more important than you, who outranks you. So what should you do? Should you, in your shame, um, move away? No, you should give him the other cheek. What will that happen? What will that do uh, to the Roman soldier that you know is offered the other cheek? It's going to make that Roman soldier think twice. And what Jesus is doing is changing the rules. Here's here's what's expected. What if this is the way that you responded instead? He said, if someone takes your coat, give him your shirt as well. Which again is, is kind of a ridiculous scenario, but what Jesus is saying, again, is kind of going after the Roman army and, and saying, if one of these soldiers with his resplendent uniform should ask for your coat, which again, a soldier might do just to demean you, give me that coat. Jesus says, why don't you just give him your shirt as well? And what will happen to the soldier who receives a shirt after he has taken a coat that he really didn't even need. That Roman soldier may think twice, be ashamed, be kind of wondering about his calling. Jesus said, this is the way the world thinks. This is the way that your situation plays out. I want to encourage you to behave in a way that is completely different from the way that the world expects that you will behave from the way that um, the world operates. President Zelensky stayed in the Ukraine, which I think is another example of changing the rules in the middle of the game. Why didn't he take safe passage to another country where he could watch from afar? Um, it's, it's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did in the Second World War when he left Germany for a while to come to North America and then went back uh, to Germany and said, 
Um, I want to be part of my country's future. How can I be if I have walked away from my country in the time of their need? So he stayed, uh, as Zelensky stayed. Um, the slap was an act of control. And what the person who would offer the second cheek was doing was refusing the destructive power that is also destroying the enemy. So the whole matter of not using the tools of, of the master um, is, is acknowledging that actually there are two victims of, of victimizing. Um, there is the victim, and the victimizer himself or herself is also a victim and is caught um, in, in the death spiral that now that person is passing along to a further victim. The answer to the world and its problems is not to do the world's work the world's way. It's, it's to stand in the middle of the game and say we're gonna change the rules. And what Jesus is encouraging his followers to do is, is remarkable, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Um, because what would be fully expected in terms of retaliation, in terms of protection, um, Jesus turns and says, no, let's make it clear that we don't agree with those rules. And in fact, as we do that, um, perhaps someone will look back and say, that was weird, why did, why did you not retaliate against me? One of the most delightful things in the middle of the horrors of Ukraine is the image of Ukrainian farmers offering to tow broken down tanks back to Russia. Isn't that great? So what are they doing? They're changing the rules in the middle of the game. We're supposed to be at war. What if we go after our enemy and say, would you like some help getting your tank back to Russia? Cool. Here's what um, the rest of the passage says in Luke chapter 6. He says, what I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and then the matter of offering the cheek and the coat. Uh, then Jesus goes on and says, give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. The Christian way is a radical, um, countercultural way of living that basically says that in the brokenness of our world, we don't find solution in further brokenness. We find it by saying we don't, we don't agree to those terms. We don't agree to respond with anger when someone uh, is angry at us. We don't agree. 
We don't agree to retaliate when someone has attacked us. We don't agree to punish when someone has sinned against us. Uh, we agree in a new constitutional sort of a way and say in the rules that we have been established in, uh, as the kingdom of God is arriving, we don't behave that way. And as we refuse to submit to the ways of the world, not only do we express our freedom in Christ and our citizenship in the coming and already arrived kingdom of God, but we invite others to join us. And we say, why don't you stop hating me as well? And we'll, we'll both stop hating. Why don't you join me in knowing about the coming and already arrived kingdom of God in which there is no hating, in which there is only um, parody, in which there is only fairness and, and love and generosity that goes all the way around. Jesus, we're told, um, turned to his disciples to say these things. And, you know, from the very beginning, he has said to his disciples, I'm, I'm going to change the world through you, uh, which was incredible to them. All they knew how to do was catch fish sometimes. And now Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to make you fishers of people, and we're going to change the world. And then when he is about to leave, he says, um, but the work isn't done. I want you all to go into all the world and tell everybody. You, you are now going to change the whole world. And that is our call as disciples. And so as Jesus was preparing his disciples, um, he turned to them and said, and many times we're told that the crowds could not figure out what Jesus meant. And so he would tell his disciples privately what he meant. Many times the disciples themselves didn't know what he meant. <laughs> and they would say, we can't understand this. And he would, you know, sometimes explain to them, sometimes say, someday you'll really understand. Um, but in their humanness, he calls them to change the rules in the middle of the game. And he says, I will change the world. I will build my church. Um, I will accomplish the, world, the work of my father. I have begun to do it. I'm commissioning you now to be the workers in, in my vineyard, in the kingdom of my father. Uh, and along the way, he's, he's schooling them and saying, now how are you going to live in this new kind of an economy? You are going to live as rule changers in the middle of a world that is set in its ways with its wisdom, with its power, with its ranks, with its oppression, with all of the things that really are the evidence of the fact that we are topsy-turvy as a humankind. Uh, and you are going to change all of that. But it will happen when you refuse to play along with the rules. And so that is incumbent upon us to say, well, are there any times in my life, were there any times this week, when I played along with the world's rules instead of saying no, I want to change this game. Did someone say something to you and you responded as triggered um, in a way that the world would respond? Could you have said, I'm not going to play that game? Could you have said something other than something that expressed uh, um, you know, a retribution of, of some kind? Um, 
Many of the ways in which we live are ordinary, normal, okay, as far as the world is concerned. We're all part of that world as well. But what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, it's just sort of in the face of the world. We're, we're going to celebrate um, Palm Sunday next Sunday. Jesus came into Jerusalem riding a donkey. Why? Because Caesar came into Jerusalem riding a horse. And what Jesus was saying was, I'm going to change the rules in the middle of the game. What Rome finds to be the ex proper expression of power and control and rank, I'm going to say, no, we, we, don't, we don't subscribe to that at all. In fact, what Jesus does in the work on the cross is astonishing as kind of the, the final game-changing rule revision of, of the whole relationship between humankind with other members of the human race and our relationship with God. And we find that at the cross, um, Jesus actually enters death. That's the realm of this world um, that has us in its, its clutches. He, he enters into death and dies to change the whole game. In, in an incredible way, he, he, um, he makes a surprise move that the enemy of our souls and his enemy forever was completely frustrated, was completely disabled in all that he had attempted to do. Because when he thought that winning the game was the death of the Son of God, the Son of God said, ah, the death of the Son of God will win the game. And so in an irony, um, by entering into our death, into our fallenness, uh, he leads us out of it. And he leads the master of the house, uh, unable to, to have a, a, a recovery because uh, we've not used his tools. We weren't trying to destroy his house using his tools. Jesus came and said, I will enter your death, and then because of that, I will lead you out of your death. What do we do? We're, we're called to be followers of Jesus and to live as he, as he did. Um, we are given the very resurrection life of Christ in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're given new hearts, and we're given the Spirit to enliven us so that we can be all that we are called to be. And what we are called to be oftentimes is not noble or um, you know, far-reaching or extravagant. Sometimes it's just the, in this situation, I'm going to change the rules. And the power of God can use that willingness on our part um, to go back and fix even the victimizer in situations, even the sinner, the one who has done the offending, the one who has caused the injury. Um, Jesus says, why, why don't you learn my way? And we don't have to read the Bible very long until we figure out that God's ways are not ever, ever, ever our ways. I, I mean, why do we forget that? We, we come back and we say, well, this seems like the wise thing to do. Or this seems like the right thing to do. And we ought to think, well, yeah, but wait a minute. I should have asked myself, first of all, 
if that's my way, it's probably not God's way. So what would God's way be? Every re reaction, every response, every uh, action that I take, I, I should have at the front of my mind the fact that God does not do things my ways. God, his thoughts are not my thoughts. Um, the Lord Jesus at every turn um, changed the rules. Everything everyone thought he ought to do, he didn't do. He, he was always um, you know, confronted by his disciples who were saying, don't do that. Don't, you can't go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you'll die. And he says, hmm, I'm going to Jerusalem. Everything that they thought he shouldn't do. The time that Peter stood up and said, not so, Lord. And Jesus said, oh, my goodness, get behind me, Satan. That's what that is. My ways are not your ways, because in the genius of God's economy, um, he will provide us just the insight of what it is that we ought to do to change the, the rules of the game because of what he wants to do. Let me tell you about a story that is found in the Talmud. The Talmud is kind of like a, a commentary on the Old Testament scriptures. The Talmud tells a story about a person called the Rabbi Meir. In the story, Rabbi Meir is so distressed about um, the havoc that was caused by delinquents in his neighborhood that he can imagine no other mercy than for God to cause them to die. His wife, Beriah, overhears this and wonders how he has come to believe such a prayer is permitted. Perhaps Rabbi Meir is thinking of Psalm 104. Don't read that for bedtime reading. So Berariah reinterprets the psalm for her husband. Rather than causing the wicked to be no more through death, God intends something else. Berariah explains that the hope for the criminals in their neighborhood comes in a different prayer. Pray for them that they should repent and there will be no more wicked people. He prayed for them, and they repented. Change the rules in the middle of the game because you're much more likely to be playing by God's rules when you check the rules that everybody else is playing by and say, no, here's, here's a different rule. Even if they say, well, you can't change the rules. That's what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all the ordinary people around were saying to Jesus, you can't, you can't do that. And yet everything that Jesus did was rule-changing because he wanted to change everything fundamentally and eternally. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for the wisdom and power of your great reversal when as we faced our enemy, death and Satan, face to face and thought that we were vanquished, someone else came along and said, I'm going to change the rules and I'm going to defeat death by death. Thank you that the Lord Jesus entered death and stormed out of death, declaring that he was the victor and had won. Father, we pray that you will Excite us in our hearts and spirits by the ways in which we can join in and 
participate in, in a countercultural kind of a movement in our lives and give us grace when we need it, set us free from our, our own sinfulness, um, give us the insights to know in every situation what it is that is your way, what it is that is a different rule um, that in fact is the rule of the kingdom of God. Thank you for the excitement of all that you do. And when folks follow you with this, this kind of a calling, thank you for the wonders that you can accomplish in their lives and through their lives. And we pray that we might be found in their company as well. In Jesus' name, amen.